Hello, I'm Wimala, and I'll be spending about 30 minutes with you this morning. We'll be, I'll be reading from Gil Fronsdale's book, The Issue at Hand, Essays on Buddhist Mindfulness Practice, and we're reading, I'm reading today, this will probably be our last day with this book, and then we'll uh, be talking about or uh, reading something different. And uh, I'm reading from the appendix, actually, but he has a really good, a very good kind of longer article, it's really well worth reading, on Theravada Buddhism. And I'm trying to hit the, we talked about the gradual path. And he talks about generosity and ethics and some of the uh, main uh, elements that you would see in the Theravada, Theravada tradition. So I wanted to read some more from that today. And uh, hopefully you're having a good day so far. Uh, it's still cold and a little bit gray here, but we may have the sun come out and have a beautiful day like we did most of yesterday. So I wanted to start... At the, actually, it's at the end. I wanted to start kind of in the middle of one of these sections in the back. It's a little bit from the ethics, and then we'll move into the meditation part. The Theravada tradition advocates the cultivation of four warm-hearted attitudes known as the divine abidings, those are Brahma Vihadas, loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And he gives some very brief uh, but, but good explanations of these qualities. Loving-kindness is a selfless friendliness or love that desires the good and happiness for oneself and others. And I really like that he uses friendliness. I think uh, Bhante G says that loving-kindness is, is actually friendliness. It's not uh, metta. The word metta is from friend. And I think friendliness is an easier quality to imagine that we can give to others. It might be easier to imagine what that would look like than it would be is, than, than even loving kindness, what that looks like. Compassion and sympathetic joy Complementary expressions of loving-kindness or friendliness involve sharing in, but, no, but in no way clinging to, the suffering and joys of others. Equanimity is an even, firm, balanced attitude toward whatever occurs, especially in situations where we cannot help others or ourselves. Theravada Buddhists commonly use these attitudes as guides for how to best live in relation to others. Meditation. Once the foundations of generosity and ethics are established, the gradual training continues with the cultivation of meditation practices. 
And you'll notice that he's, he's saying, once the foundations of generosity and ethics are established, then what we call gradual training, then the cultivation of meditation practice begins. Theravada Buddhism has a large repertoire of these, including many forms of formal sitting and walking meditation practices, as well as the develop of awareness in daily activities. Meditation practices are usually divided into two categories, concentration and mindfulness. So concentration we know is samadhi, mindfulness is sati. Concentration practices emphasize the development of a stable, one-pointed, fixed focus of mind. And he's he's not, this this is a better way to look at it too, stability of mind, one-pointedness, and just uh, the ability to focus. Instead of thinking of concentration that we kind of strain to achieve. The focus on the mind is on such objects as the breath, a mantra, a visual image, or a theme like loving-kindness. States of strong concentration tend to bring about temporary but often helpful states of psychological wholeness and well-being. Excuse me. Loving-kindness, which is in Pali, metta, is a particularly, it's not metta, it's M-E-T-T-A, not M-E-T-A, not the same word at all. Loving-kindness is a particularly useful theme for concentration because it is the traditional antidote to all forms of aversion and self-criticism. In addition, it helps cultivate an attitude of friendliness that can support other awareness practices. Mindfulness is the cultivation of an undistracted awareness of the unfolding of events in the present moment. So, concentration is just developing that stable mind and using something to focus, which we often use the breath. Mindfulness Now, this is the definition for mindfulness that we'll use, is the cultivation of an undistracted awareness of the unfolding of events in the present moment. In both concentration and mindfulness practices, alert awareness is stabilized in the present. With concentration practice, awareness is channeled into a controlled focus on a single object to the exclusion of all else. In contrast, mindfulness develops an inclusive, at times even choiceless awareness, noticing whatever arises predominantly in our experience. It is an accepting awareness that clarifies our feelings, thoughts, motivation, attitudes, and way of reacting. Such awareness in turn helps us to develop compassion and equanimity, both of which support liberation. By far the most common form of Theravada meditation practice taught in America today 
is mindfulness practice. In particular, it is a form of mindfulness derived from the teachings of the Buddha, preserved in a scripture called the Sutta on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. The four foundations, the body, which includes the breath, feelings, mental states, and dhammas, or in in, uh, Sanskrit, dharmas. Uh, Those are the... Dharmas, the dhammas, the definition is the psychological processes and insights that relate to the cultivation of liberated awareness. So it's all of the insights and the processes that that help us uh, develop and cultivate this awareness. So these are the four areas of experience. The body, and that includes the breath, feelings, and that's the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, feeling tones, affective tones in the body, mental states, all of our thinking, all of our uh, and emotions would come along with that, and then the the dhammas, and those are the those are both the dhammas can be any of the insights we have or. Uh, that the Buddha had, that, that he's, he's taught about. Those are the four areas. So I'll read a little bit more uh, because there's some, the, some things that are... This is, a, this is really good in talking if you want to really understand what this particular uh, form of Buddhism is about. Insight and liberation. With the foundations of sila and samadhi, wisdom or panya, when it, with, uh, I re- misread that sentence, with the foundations of sila and samadhi, ethics and concentration, wisdom or panya starts to grow. The key Theravada Buddhist practice leading to both insight and liberation is mindfulness sometimes supported by concentration exercises. Mindfulness develops the ground of trust and acceptance that enables us to open to whatever our inner and outer life might bring. While this often includes a great deal of self-knowledge, this trustful openness or non-resistance is itself the door to liberation, known in Theravada Buddhism as the cessation of all clinging. Part of the beauty of mindfulness is that each clear moment of mindfulness is itself a moment of non-clinging and as such as a taste of liberation. As mindfulness becomes stronger, it directly reveals three insights that the Buddha called the three characteristics of all experience, namely that our experience is seen as impermanent, unsatisfactory, and without self. All things are impermanent, including the way we experience ourselves and the world. Since our experiences are ever-changing, they are inherently unsatisfactory as sources of permanent security or identity. As we see that they cannot provide us with lasting satisfaction, we also realize that anything we experience does not belong to some fixed 
autonomous notion of a self. Not our thoughts, feelings, or body, not even awareness itself. Sometimes these insights trigger fear, like no self and the impermanence of everything. Sometimes these insights trigger fear, but as our mindfulness practices mature, we realize that we can function happily in the world without needing to cling or attach to anything. So the basic insights arising out of mindfulness practice help us to cultivate trust and a healthy equanimity in the midst of our lives. As this trust grows, it weakens our need to cling. Eventually, the deepest roots of clinging, greed, hatred, and delusion, those are the roots of the clinging that we're trying to like, that we're trying to stop, right? The deepest roots of clinging, greed, hatred, and delusion will release themselves and the world of liberation opens. The fruit of this liberation is, in a sense, being in a world onto which we no longer project our clingings, fears, longings, and aversions. It is to see the world of things as they are. If the release of clinging is strong enough, we realize the direct and immediate present of the deathless, a word Theravada Buddhism uses to refer to the ever-present, timeless experience of liberation. Service. In a sense, the gradual path of training ends with liberation. Liberation is the door from which compassion and wisdom flow forth without selfish clinging or identification. If our compassion is not grown, then our training is incomplete. For some, the byproduct of liberation and compassion is the wish to be of service to others. This can take any one of innumerable active forms, such as aiding a neighbor in difficulty, choosing to work in a helping profession, or teaching the Dhamma. Before sending his first 60 enlightened disciples out into the world to teach the Dhamma, the Buddha said to them, My friends, I am free from all human and spiritual entanglement. And as you are likewise free of all human and spiritual entanglements, go forth into the world for the good of the many, for the happiness of the many, with compassion for the world, and for the benefit, the blessing, and the happiness of gods and humans. Reveal the spiritual life, complete and pure in spirit and in form. This desire to be of service can also take more passive expressions, such as living simply as a monk or nun, as an example of a life of practice. By itself, the act of awakening is a great gift, a great act of service because others will never again be subjected to the greed, hatred, and delusion of an awakened one. That sentence doesn't make sense. Let me read it a different way. By itself, the act of awakening is a great gift, a great act of service, because others will never again... Oh, 
will never be subjected to the greed, hatred, and delusion of an awakened one. So someone who is, who's awake, who's enlightened, who has the person who wakes up, never, never causes these things, never projects these things uh, onto others. They never project greed, hatred, or delusion out into the world. They're done with that. The gift of awakening can be seen as bringing the spiritual path full circle with generosity found at both the beginning and ending of the path. And faith, this is a, I'll I'll finish at the end of this section. Faith, a key element at every stage of the path is faith, a word that is often troublesome for Westerners. In Theravada Buddhism, Faith does not mean blind faith. Rather, it describes trust or confidence in oneself. In the have hiccups. Rather, it describes trust or confidence in oneself, in the teachings and practices of liberation, and in the community of teachers and practitioners, both past and present. It is the kind of faith that inspires one to verify for oneself the experiential possibilities of a spiritual life. As these possibilities become actualized, we often discover increasing levels of trust in our personal capacity for openness and wisdom. This in turn gives rise to an increasing appreciation of the people and teaching supporting supporting this inner trust. In the Theravada tradition, these are represented by the three treasures, or the three jewels, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Dhamma, or the teachings, and the Sangha. And the Sangha is a community of practitioners. One of the most common rituals for lay practitioners in Theravada Buddhism is taking refuge, consciously choosing to be supported and inspired by the three treasures or three jewels. While taking refuge is performed as a matter of course at ceremonies, during retreats, and when visiting a temple, it can be a pivotal moment when, for the first time, one takes refuge with the conscious intent of orienting one's life in accordance with one's deepest values and aspirations. Relating our practice to the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha helps ensure that it is not only limited to intellectual concerns, issues of personal therapy, or selfish ambitions. Taking refuge helps solidify a broad foundation of trust and respect from which true mindfulness and insight can grow. So why don't we stop there and we can sit. There, I, I will read a little bit more from this tomorrow because he talks about uh, Theravada Buddhism in daily life, students and teachers, monasticism, and retreats. And then we'll, we'll be finished with this beautiful book. There's still several essays that I haven't read, so we aren't really finished, but... I'll leave those for you to read on your own. So why don't we sit and just relax.
I'm in an uncomfortable seat, so <laughs> I'm scrunching around trying to be able to relax. Just relax and let your spine feel lifted. And regardless of the posture you're in, feel your spine stretch out. Let your hands just be relaxed in your lap. And let's do a body a body scan. Uh, this would be a quick body scan just to help us get that body be more. It's always a good thing to practice anything that can allow you to uh, become more aware of your body, more in tune with your own body, and how it those feeling tones of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And just how your body is and see how uh, one of the way, reasons we do this practice of being so aware of the body is we see how quickly things change and it begins in the body. So we can go from one moment feeling good and the next moment we can feel down or suddenly feel exhausted and uh, the body scans help us stay more in tune with ourselves and then we can work with whatever is arising. This body is important. It's carrying this big brain around and that's what helps us be able to learn in this lifetime. So just begin by finding the breath. And just be aware of the body breathing. We're just we're just going along with the body here. Just our normal breath. If you're feeling really kind of edgy or uh, restless or anxious about anything, you might want to start with a few deep breaths in and out just to let the body know that you want to settle, settle down a bit. And just after those two longer intentional breaths, just let your body find its pace. When we follow the breath, we're just focusing on the area either around our nostrils where we can feel the breath, or we're just aware of the tummy rising and contracting with each breath. Just find that spot that's that works for you. Now just start at the top of your head 
and just imagine you're moving down slowly through your head, moving down over the skin, over flesh and bone, and be aware of everything that you can be aware of in the body as we move through it slowly. Down through the head, Be aware of the face, your scalp, hair, your ears, your eyes. It's a good time just to be aware of whether there's tension anywhere, but we're just doing the scan. If you are aware of tension, you can breathe into that spot and then relax on the out-breath. But just focus on an awareness of the body as we're moving down through the body. The head into the neck. Is it sitting balanced on top of your shoulders? Is your head balanced? into both shoulders, and let your attention move down into your upper arms, your lower arms, and your hands. Good time to make sure your hands aren't clenched together. Palm can be open, palm up or palm down. Now come back up to your upper chest. That's an area where we can feel our breath but it's better to have our awareness of our breath when we practice, either uh, right as we breathe in and out through our nostrils, or again, choose the belly. So move down through your chest, your upper, upper back, your shoulder blades, your lungs, your heart, Move down to your middle torso, the stomach and your intestines, your back, the spine is still running through our body. And move down into the pelvic area. Be aware of whether you're sitting in a good posture for this area not putting undue strain here. Move down into your upper legs.
down into your lower legs. Really feel everything. Feel the skin, the flesh, the bones. your lower legs, then into your feet. And I always say wiggle your toes. Feel your, that's like letting your fingers stretch out. Be aware of all those bones, especially in your feet and your hands. Just move out through the body. And then come back and we'll just sit for a few minutes together. If thoughts arise, don't worry about that, but no need to feed those thoughts with your attention. So let your mind allow them to arise and just uh, without feeding them, they'll go away. They won't be a problem. Now, if you can, as our time ends together, if you can, just keep sitting. If this is a good time for you, just keep, just keep going with the stillness. You might want to practice metta for, for yourself and others and include the world and people suffering in the UK, Ukraine and all other countries where there's war and despair. Or just practice that awareness. Be with your breath. And when thoughts arise, just let them go away on their own. And then just come back to the breath. And let the day be a beautiful one. I hope everyone is well and contented and at peace. 
May everything we do and say and think today not only be for our own benefit, but surely we want it for our own benefit, for peace and contentment. But let it also be for the benefit of all sentient beings, all beings everywhere. Thank you.